Five, a show that we put things down into thing list things, because that is the thing that we do on a list show like Top 5. Did I get it in there enough times? <laughs> things and lists. We and list and things and lists. And then people and that's say... that's why the song is called Alice's Restaurant. And then people say whether our list was the right list or the wrong list, and then they share their lists. This is Top 5. This week, listener wrote in and said, hey, I've got an idea for Top 5. How about... Top five doomsday plots from fiction. So that could be books, TVs, comic books. We had a little question on doomsday. What did doomsday signify? Mm-hmm. I just I just assume that doomsday means a lot, a lot of people die all the way up to total annihilation of the planet. So I don't know if it's on anybody's list, but uh, that uh, what was it? The Planet of the Apes movie where the uh, crazy uh, People that didn't have any faces were worshiping the nuclear bomb, and then it went off at the end. <laughs> beneath that would be the like Planet a, of the Apes. Was yeah. that the one beneath? I couldn't remember which one it is. Yeah, yeah, I believe. But so. that That's would that would that would be like a doomsday kind of plot. That's how I, I read it. So. In fact, my number five is uh, Lex Luthor's land grab from Superman Returns. That's what I had as a doomsday plot because in order for Lex Luthor to have an entire island of real estate that he could sell and make his millions on, he had to essentially send a giant tidal wave rushing to the uh, east coast of the United States and presumably, you know, France and England and Africa to wipe out those people so that land prices would rise. So that's, I feel, as I consider a doomsday plot, even though it wasn't carried out successfully and somehow Superman was able to lift an entire continent filled with kryptonite, the thing that he's weakest against, up into the air. So my number five on my list of fictional doomsday plots, Lex Lex Luthor's land grab, in Superman Returns. Not the best, but that's wasn't why it's that, on my number five. Isn't that Superman? No, Superman and Returns. Miss Tessmacher has to drag him out of the pool. and now, That would be regular she, Superman, but that's different. He agrees to save her mom first? Hey, don't mix these movies up. People are already confused enough about the Superman property. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rodrigo, what do you have for your number five? Uh, my number five is also kind of a Lex Luthor riff. Okay. Um, and And it's... Kind of, I, I went a little bit more general in that um, the one of the uh, more popular kind of tropes in comics recently has been all of is like, well, what if everyone was magic, right? Yeah. So you get Spider Island, right. you get that time that Lex Luthor is like, everybody come down and I'll give you superpowers, right. and then hoping that you know so many people with superpowers would cause more havoc, and actually, so it kind of depends. Um, is it, you know, kind of depending on who's doing it or how it happens, but usually it's portrayed as a bad thing, right? Yeah. So if everybody gets superhuman abilities, yeah. they go out and everybody's like, oh, now I am a superhero. So they start going out and fighting and doing stupid things and, and mm-hmm. causing a lot of havoc. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a great uh, example of it is um, Earth X, right? Mm-hmm. Is that's kind of the beginning is everybody turns into a mutant, like mm-hmm. 100% of the Earth's population now has superpowers. And, like, the world goes to crap. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I'm glad you didn't say your your Lex Luthor doomsday plot was stealing 40 cakes and starving the town of their <laughs> tasty desserts. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I would never put that on a list. Matthew, what do you have on your number five? Or as your number five? Or well, perhaps and, and, number five? Uh, regular readers of top five, because <laughs> uh, there aren't any because there are listeners to top five, know that on occasion... Uh, I will have a different 
uh, sort of a transcription. Because what happens is on Monday, Stephen's like, here's the, here's the topic. Go, go, go. Swarm, swarm. And we all swarm. So today I'm sitting here highly drugged up with half my face uh, not feeling because I had uh, my tooth replaced. And he's like, doomsday plots. And the first thing that pops into my head <clears throat> was the literal doomsday device, or in this case, the doomsday machine yeah. encountered by uh-huh. Captain James T. Kirk uh. and his starship Enterprise, Star Trek, episode number 35, The Doomsday Machine, during yeah, which that's a uh, good one. that is. And we learn a lot of things about Starfleet yeah. where we find another constellation or yeah, constellation class ship like the Enterprise. And then the giant alien cornucopia worm from space comes down and goes, re, 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 re. And of course, there's Commodore Decker, who later gets a continuity nod in Star Trek The Motionless Picture, because his son shows up as Kirk's new first officer. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. It's one of the first times they refer to the modern era in Star Trek, because Kirk actually references. Uh, atomic bombs during the episode. Oh yeah, he's talking about yeah the modern era, and then we have a lot of these really great moments where Scotty has one of his genius moments, and of course there's that point where you're to- you're thrown out of it because the thing is so big that it eats planets, right? Mm-hmm. And at one point you see the Enterprise flying towards it, and it's giant, and then Decker flies out in a shuttlecraft, which is the size of Rodrigo's Yaris. And then they cut to a shot, and you can still see the shuttlecraft. And I'm like, scale is wrong. Episode ruined. <laughs> but it's still a really fascinating episode. And as with everything in early Star Trek, no real origin is ever given. We don't find out where this massive, incredibly powerful creature came from. And I kind of love that. I really like the fact that they went into space to explore and they found something they didn't understand that tried to kill them and they barely got out alive. And, you know, people had to, to give up their lives in this weird final frontier. It's a great episode. And it starts with the specter of death for everybody on the ship. And that's kind of awesome to me when you look at it and they show us another ship where everybody did die. So that I mean that really sets the stakes high, which is why my number five, the Doomsday Machine, episode thirty-five of seventy-nine, first broadcast in uh, October of nineteen sixty-seven, I believe. I don't know. I'm I'm bluffing on that part, oh, but okay, still, cool. the Doomsday Machine, my number five. So my number four is not necessarily about destroying a whole world, but it is causing a you know mass terrorist act. Right. And it's 1977's Black Sunday, where this uh, Goodyear blimp pilot is going to crash the Goodyear blimp into the Super Bowl. And I don't remember if there was like a nuke on board or something, but there was definitely something where he was going to blow up the Super Bowl. And um, directed by uh, John Frankenheimer, it's kind of eerie. I haven't seen it in a long, 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 long time, but I was just going back through the plot on the uh, Wikipedia. And in light of things that are currently going on in the world... That makes this one seem even more weird in hindsight. Uh, But yes, crashing a blimp, a helium-filled blimp, into the Super Bowl seems like an interesting doomsday plot for somebody. Somebody's going to die. I think it was thwarted at the end. Can you imagine? My God, the Goodyear blimp is coming. Quick, run! Five minutes later, everyone's out of the stadium. The blimp is still on its crash course. (laughs) 
Uh, so that is that is my number four. Black Sunday crashing your blimp into the Super Bowl. Rodrigo, what do you have for number four? Uh, my number four is basically the plot of the movie 12 Monkeys. Oh, no. Ooh. Yeah. 12 Monkeys. Uh, fun. Terry Gilliam joined, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, based on yep. a French short movie, La Jete. Mm-hmm. And about um, to be a miniseries, I think, on Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yep. So there you go. Free plug Sci-Fi Channel. Woohoo. Um, is, uh, you know, is, is the story of a guy that gets sent back through time to stop the apocalypse, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, as he does so, he begins to doubt whether he's not just a delusional person. Yeah. You know, and you kind of do as well, um, even though you've seen it. You've totally seen it, man. What's the deal? <laughs> Brad Pitt is so weird in this. I don't get it. I don't know what's happening. Um, and then at the end, you find out what the actual doomsday plot was. There's some timey-wimey stuff that you're like, oh, no, that was that other thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, timey-wimey? Yeah, I don't want to spoil it too much, but there's... there's it's a uh, 20-year-old movie by now. Yes, that's true. Um, so, yes. Uh, 12 Monkeys, pretty weird bioterrorism movie. Is that the one with Chris Tucker in a dress? Uh, no, no, that's the, that's the, the fifth, fifth element. element. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Not really a dress. We're like a. No, well, it's a dress. He's right. he's wearing a dress. All right. That's fine. Matthew, what do you have for your number four? Well, my number four actually has kind of a a really twisted pedigree behind it, and it's interesting because earlier. Um, we were discussing during a recent major spoilers podcast, the Dirk gently television series, yes, which was adapted out of a lost script of doctor who mm-hmm. my number four actually also was adapted by the same author from a lost script of doctor who called doctor who and the cricket men. And what it actually turns into is a story that requires a hero, but no one in the cast is a hero. It requires some heavy-duty time travel, which involves some, you know, backhanded whack jobbery. And it essentially brings it all together and shows us that the characters of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy are wholly unsuited to saving the entirety of life, the universe, and everything. Um, My number four actually has the universe imperiled by a tiny little bomb in the shape of a cricket ball. Yep. And an alien race of cricket men who basically play the game of cricket, wanting to destroy everything in the universe because their home planet had no sky. And so they were horrified to realize that there are other stars and other planets out there. Yep. And Arthur and Ford and the usual gang of idiots have to get involved to save the day. And it's funny because they take a minor character, Slarty Bartfast, mm-hmm. and stick him in the role, basically, of the Doctor. Yeah, with his uh, bistro. Yeah, the the Starship bistro math. But Slarty Bartfast is clearly, in the story, angry that he has to do this. And it's this this really meta statement to me that Adams is saying, this is such a bad plan to stick this character in this role that even the character hates it. 
But it comes across wonderfully because Slarty Bart Fast is surrounded by these feckless idiots who couldn't get anything done if he weren't there. And it comes across as his frustration trying to save the universe with a drunken Ford prefect and Arthur Dent always saying, what? And it has a really great twist at the end, which just sort of cracked me up every time. You mean the bit, bit about uh, Arthur Dent? Haven't I done you before? <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> you're a knee biter. Now, remember, he's only a knee biter in the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in uh, Britain, he's actually a much worse word. Also, there's an F-bomb in the British version. Um, and in the American book that I grew up reading, the F-bomb is edited out and replaced with the word Belgium. And they actually have like a para- like a whole chapter, paragraphs and paragraphs, explaining why the word Belgium is actually the dirtiest word in yeah. the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's quite possibly one of the most creatively bizarre uh, bits of um, – what do they call that when you do something – something or bowdlerizing mm-hmm. that I've ever run into in my life. It's really, really funny. And it also allows me to use the word Belgium as a curse word. Yeah. Um, so again, my number four, the genius of Douglas Adams, life, the universe, and everything. The, the doomsday plot to end all doomsday plots. Eddie's in the space-time continuum. Oh, is that his couch? Why does it look like a Chesterfield? Um, <laughs> my number three. It was a Chesterfield, wasn't it? Green Chesterfield floating across the pitch? I think it was, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. man, it's been forever since. I, I don't know, Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Uh, okay, so my number three, also written by a, uh, a great writer. Eh, yeah, sure, great, great writer. Um, because he's able to take some scientific theories and turn them into terrors. And in this case, what happens when we send a space probe, a satellite up into space, what happens to the bacteria and stuff that's on those spaceships? I mean, we know that new forms have ba- of bacteria have been created in uh, Space Lab when it was or Sky Lab when it was still up there, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, it mutated and changed into something that was a lot hardier than what scientists thought that that type of bacteria could do. I think they found it on the current uh, space station, too. But what happens is the satellite comes crashing back and it's got some alien germ on it. That clots your blood quickly and instantly. And I remember as a kid watching the Andromeda strain. And the, you just basically you start out with these people who are all suited up. And they're walking to this town and they're cutting people's arms open. And nothing but like red sand comes pouring out of their veins. And they have to figure out what is going on with this mutant Andromeda strain. And is it going to wipe out all life on Earth? And it's a creepy. It is oh, yeah. a creepy movie, number one. Oh yes, I don't. I I don't think I've ever read the book, but um, but I definitely have. The book is actually as terrifying. Definitely, this Andromeda strain is definitely a way that you wipe out all life on the planet, unless of course you have a high fever, which I think is what they figured out with the old man and the baby is that they had higher fevers and that didn't cause the uh, the virus to take hold. Yeah, something like that. But in light of the old man and the baby, that's my favorite Anthony Quinn. <laughs> in light of again current events. Uh, going on, uh, the Andromeda strain seems pretty creepy. And if you want to read a uh, a story that's even worse than Andromeda strain, go and read the Hot Zone. Yeah. And it's about a wasn't it a Ebola outbreak? I forget which I visor. So. I think it was an Ebola outbreak in like the Carolinas or something like that. Um, and I then of course they turned that into that Dustin Hoffman movie. 
Outbreak. Yeah, Outbreak. But you definitely you want to read The Hot yeah, Zone. Yeah, starring want, Joey Tribbiani. If you want to read a freaky freaky book, that one is based on a lot of these things actually happened. Sure. Um, so uh, Andromeda Strain, that's my number three doomsday device in, uh, in fiction. Andromeda Strain, weirdly, without too many spoilers, has the reverse ending from War of the Worlds. Yeah, yeah, also yeah. weirdly the same ending. Yes, exactly. What do you have for your number three? Uh, my number three, uh, speaking of spoilers, is actually a huge spoiler for the game Chrono Trigger. So if you have been have Chrono Trigger there sitting on your Super NES, you've been meaning to play it since 1997 when it came out. Uh, I don't know when it came out, but probably 1997. Um, and you haven't gotten around to it, you can fast forward to it when I stop talking because I'm totally going to spoil the crap out of it. Okay. So, um, in the game Chrono Trigger, which is again about time travel, you are going around, going around, and finding that there's this huge um, apocalyptic event that happens somewhere along the timeline. And when you go back and figure out why, you realize that um, there was an alien entity that came to the world and basically seeded it with life. Mm-hmm. Um, or it just kind of... Uh, allowed life to continue and expand and grow exponentially um, and turning the earth into what we know, quote unquote, because the world of Chrono Trigger is actually different. Right. Um, uh, but the ultimate goal was for it to then consume all that life and basically explode into seedlings, mm-hmm. thus destroying the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, uh, to me, one of the ultimate doomsday plots is this, basically this animal that doesn't you can't negotiate with it you can't um convince it not to do something that like that's its life cycle literally eating your world is what it does to survive yeah so you can't do anything about it except fight it kill it somehow um my uh number what are we on three Three. yep my number three is lavos from uh, chrono trigger cool 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 hey let me give you a quick update so the hot zone is richard by uh written by richard preston and it's a true story broken into three parts and it is about the ebola virus Mm -hmm. and it talks about how um ebola type viruses and what is the other one uh, the marburg virus how there have been outbreaks and one of them did take place in reston virginia at the monkey house Mm -hmm. and again in light of current events if you want to freak yourself out even more this book came out i want to say in like 2000 something like that 99 or 2000 oh i'm sorry it came out in 95 so the hot zone by richard preston And that's that's real. That's not in fiction. Interesting that your take on current events always involves the doomsday. <laughs> well, it just that's so happened that Black Sunday, you mm. know, because of the uh, um, the Israeli connection that's in in Black Sunday and the things that are going on currently in Israel and, and Gaza. Here, here's the thing, though: you realize that movies, all of those movies, The Andromeda Strain, all of those were also written at the time as freaky current event stuff. Yes, right? yeah, because the, the Black Sunday act, was, yeah. was basically world, after the 72 Olympic or whatever it was, right. yeah. The world actually hasn't changed. I know, the thing. that's, that's the Current thing, events right? are always freaky when you look at them through that lens yeah, yeah. because this stuff has always been going on. Yeah. Sometimes the players change, but the situation hasn't. Well, I just think that it's it's funny that these have come up right at the time when these events are going on, not that these events are new because right. you're right they're not you know black sunday again is based on the olympic uh, uh, shooting and the effects of uh mm-hmm. the killing um at the at the um i forget what the name of that group was that uh, killed them so yeah 
but still kind of yeah. weird, kind of scary too. Sure. Matthew, what do you have for your number three? My number three actually takes place over a considerable period of time uh, because it's one of those moments where in recent years, you know how TV shows used to be like, here's an episode and here's an episode. And occasionally you'd see plot points come up in the mid nineties. We started seeing those arc related shows. I blame the X-Files, so I don't believe that they are the first one to ever do it. And during this particular series, there had been a lot of, in fact, Every season had what they called the big bad and something terrible and a big explosion would happen. But by the time Buffy Summers got to season five of her show, things were they they had up to the ante to the point where they were literally fighting a hell goddess Mm -hmm. from another dimension. Mm -hmm. And there was no way to stop this hell goddess from another dimension except by sacrificing Buffy's quote-unquote, new sister, a mystical construct in the form of a 14-year-old girl. So it gets to a point where the hero has to make a choice. Am I going to kill my little sister? Am I basically going to let an innocent person, thing, key, whatever you want to call it, die to save the world? Or am I going to take the third option? And it's it's it really is a heartbreaker because... Again, metatextually outside of the show, they were switching networks. So this last episode that aired in season five was the last episode to air on the WB, which meant where I lived in Kansas, it was the last episode I saw. Yeah, ever. Until we got a UPN affiliate. Stupid. Yeah. Cable networks. Because the UPN affiliate, we, we literally had to have five people holding five different hangers up in different corners of the room. Neither here nor there. At the end of season five, to stop the apocalypse Buffy as a character derived from comic book heroes does what a comic book hero would do does what Barry Allen did before her does what Bob Dickering did before her does what Kara Zor-El did before her and threw herself into the void and died. And at the end of season five, we see Buffy Summers gravesite. Her tombstone says she saved the world a lot. And if that's the last episode of Buffy you ever see, that's a great ending. Yeah. Now, of course, she she is, again, derived from comic book superheroes, so it didn't stick. <laughs> but it's an amazing story arc. It's an amazing moment. And it comes to the point where the designated hero, who's in some episodes is clearly designated hero, who's just, you know, this girl who's way out of her depth and whines about her... her her role whines about all of the things on her shoulders and the weight that's been placed on her as the slayer accepts what she has to do saves a person who isn't even really a person because that's what heroes do. That's why by number three, the end of the doomsday plot at season five of Buffy, the vampire slayer, I believe the actual episode is called uh, Buffy dies or something. Not Very Buffy cool. dies or something, literally the title Buffy dies or something. It's not that I forgot. Mm-hmm. Maybe I did. I don't know. All right. Cool. Thank you for that number three. My number two. Indeed. Siri, the Forbidden Project. Siri? No, I'm just kidding. What happens when you let an artificial intelligence <laughs> gain too much pop, uh, power? That's exactly what she happens. She sleeps with Joaquin Phoenix. No! That's, That's exactly what happens in the movie Colossus, the Forbidden Project. I always thought it was Forbidden Project for like years. 
Colossus the Forbin Project, the United States creates a super sentient uh, um, computer mm-hmm. that basically takes over everything in the United States and then discovers that, oh, Russia has also developed their own super smart computer. And the two computers join forces and basically say, tell the world, if you don't do what we tell you, we're going to kill you all. And it doesn't matter a blink to us. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating movie about what happens when you let technology get out of control. So if you've never seen Colossus the Forbin Project, not a really great movie, but a great high concept. A lot different, you know, than her, where her, the sentience, big spoiler alert if you haven't seen her. Where, no, don't no, it, spoiler. It's really good. Man, if you guys have not seen her. Nope. I won't, I won't spoil it for you. Okay. But if you have not seen her, you look at all the trailers, you look at all the publicity surrounding her, and you're like, oh, this is a... This is a uh, romance story. Sci-fi romance story. Well, most people would say it's a romance sci-fi story. Oh, And really, it is a high-concept sci-fi story. No, because I think most people play it up as this is more romance than anything else. And it's more sci-fi than everything else, and it's a high-concept sci-fi movie. I do recommend it. Have you seen it, Matthew? it is a successful romance. Yeah, I love it. It is a good It's a successful romance and a successful science fiction film. And a successful kind of think about your life film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get to the end of it, it really does make you think about, you know, basic stop, general stop looking, stuff in the universe. Stop today. looking down at your damn iPhone all the time and interact with people kind of thing. I but don't is, own an iPhone. It is a good. I look down at my Android. It is and a her good name movie. is Anne. And Anne. unlike her, which has a very different ending than Colossus, the Forbin Project. It doesn't result in everybody's potential doom until you get to – although it would be interesting to see, Matthew, since you've seen her, to tie that into uh, uh, Star Trek uh, V'ger. You know, what happens yes. after? What happens yes. after? I, I, I thought about that myself. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. So, Scarlett so, Johansson. Yes, as V'ger. Uh My number two, Colossus, The Forbidden Project. Go check it out if you haven't. Minor seems like all of mine are like movies set in the seventies, except for Lex Luthor's uh, Superman Returns. Well, thing. that's because you're which hey, comes that, from. By the way, is also well, a it's, it's you know when we think about a lot of these doomsday plots, they do come from this Cold War era yep. of we are going to annihilate ourselves. And growing up, and did you? I mean, nope. you were never under that at nope. all. I first, mean, Matthew and I were. First off, uh, I'm a little too young, and yeah. second, I wasn't living in one of the countries holding the trigger. During that time. But you were right next to one that would have I was, seen a yes. crap ton of fallout. Yes, well, but I mean, the, the world would have been. It's like, yeah, there's nothing you can do, though. Right. But that, I mean, Matthew, no, that was something that was a real concern for me growing up is, oh, my God, is today the day that a bomb is going to go off and I'm going to be out here in the middle of winter stacking up wood and all of a sudden I'm going to see a flash to the to the north uh, east of me and then I'm going to be dead. And, and you're going to cover your head and climb under your desk. And it didn't and it didn't help the, that they had that day after movie that took place 10 miles, 20 yeah. miles from where yeah, I was living. Shot it right over there. Steve that, Gutenberg, you could have touched that, that. movie. <laughs> I, I actually you, did. <laughs> With a stick, I was like, "Hey, Steve Gutenberg," and I poked it with a stick. Like, oh, away. oh, wow! Yeah, that should have like, been. Go away, movie. fat kid! I'm I'm Mahoney for God's sake. Hey, have yeah. you ever seen Have you ever seen that movie, The Day After? Yeah, Ugh, that's a creepy ass movie. Yeah, but it's unfortunately, good, doesn't good. qualify into this because it's not a fictional. I mean, it's a fictional story, uh-huh. but it's based on the fact that yeah, we came really close to annihilating ourselves many, many times. Actually, it very nearly made my list. So. Oh, really? It was on my top 10, yeah, doomsday-type plots. But, you know, just based on the 
the elevator pitch that you sent us in the mail? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that fit. Yeah. yeah. But then I thought of better stuff. So. No, oh, that was just a depressing movie. M- Rodrigo, what do you have for your number two? My number two is another time travel story. Um, <laughs> you will see at the end how, like, basically my uh, my top five is kind of like this weird loop with a lot of time travel in the middle but uh so uh there's a there was a show uh which was distributed by the bbc in the united states it wasn't actually a bbc show i got yelled at for calling it a a bbc show once by british people and i was like guys it says bbc all over it here in the united states because the bbc brought it over talking about a show called primeval it is a show in which dinosaurs come out of uh, time vortices and terrorize the town, the town. Um, so um, as the plot develops, there's this kind of mystery woman that disappeared, and then you find out that she disappeared because into the one of these anomalies, and she decides that the human race is terrible and has polluted the universe. So she develops a plot to go back and basically assassinate the first like Homo habilis. Yeah. Um. So her doomsday plot is to make humans never. That will work. Nice. That will work. That um, is somewhat creepy at the same yeah. time. So Primeval, uh, first season of Primeval, pretty good. And then after that, every season, like, uh, actors come and go, and you can just see the writers just scramble. Mm-hmm. Scramble to try to keep the show together. Yeah. And they can't. It's just it like it's a pretty tight little sci-fi train wreck to begin with, and then it turns into an actual train wreck that is watchable because you want to see how the uh, writers are going to try to paint themselves out of a corner that mm-hmm. they totally painted themselves into. Anyway, Primeval, uh, my number two, the the kind of like the first arc is uh, pretty scary times. Nice. Cool, Matthew. What do you have for your number two? My number two is a story. That vaguely stretches the concept, but also doesn't, and is a story that has stuck with me for years and years and years. And I think we may have touched on it before, but I can't remember going really into depth. When I was a young lad, when I was a young warthog, he was a young warthog. Thank you. You're welcome. I used to sit up late and watch terrible TV on the local UP. UPN? No, not UPN. <laughs> UHF. Uh, UHF. Uh, UHF station out of Kansas City. And they would show these movies over and over and over. And we'd see movies like The Car. And we'd see movies like, uh, I don't know, The Sentinel. Hey, And, of all, course, there was their crap show All Night Live. All three of these movies that I mentioned, uh, Colossus, Andromeda, and Black Sunday, I all saw on, yeah. on the late nights on the UHF. So you probably also were there the night that they aired... A movie that accidentally fell into the public domain. George Romero's earliest films. The story of a zombie apocalypse, which still counts as apocalypse. Sure it does. Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And the thing about Night of the Living Dead that really fits that doomsday is the character we start with, Barbara, isn't necessarily the character that we end up following through the movie. It, it, it has an interesting structure. We start with Barbara. Something terrible happens to Barbara and her brother at a cemetery. And it's incredibly 
terrifying because they build the tension and they build the tension and they build the tension. You see Barbara and Johnny standing and arguing in a cemetery with something moving in the, yes, background, in the background for a good four minutes. Yeah, for a good four minutes. And then Johnny sees this man walking towards them. And he's like, oh, they're coming for you, Barbara. And he's making jokes about it being a monster that's going to eat her. And then it comes up and takes a bite out of his neck. And I'm like, ah. And then, of course, it gets yeah, really freaky. Then he but, starts pulling these sausages out of his pockets and shoving them in his mouth, covered in chocolate syrup. <laughs> the, yeah, the scene with the sausages I am almost certain, and this is something that your memory does play tricks. Oh, yeah, it does. But I am almost certain that that movie aired with the sausage scene on television at like 10 o'clock at night at the UHF station. Might have. And the reason that I think this happened, there are two reasons why I think this happened. One, I am absolutely certain that I remember seeing this when I was a kid in my basement because I couldn't sleep for days. And two, I used to work at a, a... little affiliate in Hayes, and we one night we aired uh, Spaceballs, which has a joke about a character whose last name is Asol. And then for like five minutes, they make a joke that sounds like, I'm surrounded by curse words. We accidentally aired that one night, and like five minutes of that went off, and as, the, as they started, I looked at my board, and my boss called me, and then the phone lines went blink, 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 blink. At seven o'clock at night, I was airing shows with you know words in them, so I think it may have happened. But neither here nor there. Terrifying movie, and the end of it actually makes it worse. As doomsday stories go, usually you get to the end and the world doesn't explode, or you know Lex Luthor doesn't shoot the West Coast off and rebuild in Tucson. This one has a terrible horrible horrifying just an ending that will stick with you and it will haunt you literally speaking it's why my number two and imagine if this is my number two what's my number one my number two night of the living dead cool that is scary which uh, does bring us to our number ones Uh, does bring us to our number ones what do we have for our number ones could they be scary could they be Based in reality? Could they involve a secret agent from MI6 who goes into space to stop people from blowing up the world with a device called Moonraker? Breaking the moon. Breaking up the moon. Starring that one dude. I know. It's got Jaws in it. That's that's one good thing. At least in one point. It's got Jaws in it. I'm hoping to get superpowers now that I have cyborg teeth. <laughs> it's also got a uh, villain called Drax, mm-hmm. which is pretty crazy. And he has this plan the to destroyer. Well, he wants to destroy the world by using all these uh, using the satellite to uh, to blow to blow Holy people crap. up. Raking the moon. It'd been funny if he turned it around and shot the moon as just this big finger. Yeah. Giving everybody just like try to write use a laser to spell spell your name across (laughs) chair because the first three letters (laughs) yeah so if you haven't seen moonraker it's it's an okay james bond movie it was actually one of the um uh ian fleming stories that fleming had intentionally written to be a movie that was his Uh that was his decision when he was writing it so it's a world you know it's a um 
continent skipping tale of uh, James Bond trying to track down what Drax is doing that eventually ends up in space. I think this is the one where he gets it on in space, right? There's a couple of there's. I thought there was another one. I thought Diamonds Are Forever also has uh, James Bond getting it on in space. Yeah, I, th- I think there's another one where James Bond gets it on in space. There's more than in space, but it's also got Jaws in it. So Moonraker. Yeah. What better so, way to destroy the world than by having a giant satellite that, uh, unless right. the, unless the countries of the world give you billions upon billions of dollars, that you're going to destroy them? That is my number one doomsday plot. That's. That's not the one with Grace Jones, is it? No, that is the uh, that's the one that takes place mostly in San Francisco. Let me look it up. Octopussy. Oh, no. right. That's got ho- ho- Holly Goodhead in it. Holly Goodhead is in Moonraker. It's in yes. Moonraker. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm with you. Grace Jones is in. Let me look up her IMDb real quick. Oh, she's got a longer uh, IMDb than I thought. Uh, yeah, Grace Jones was in a lot of therapy. Her Majesty's Secret Service. No. No. Doctor No. No. Shaka Zulu. A view to a kill. View to a kill. That's it. Yes. That's what I just said. Yes. View to a kill. I said a view to a kill, and you said no. View to a kill. No, he was saying saying no to me. No, I was saying no to Rodrigo. Oh, okay. But what I am going to say I must be yes to Rodrigo is, let us hear your number one. Yes to Rodrigo. Yes. 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 Say yes to S. All right. So uh, my number what? one. Uh, you got to watch Storybots. Comes from a what? cartoon style TV program. Okay. Um, in which... <laughs> In which a dastardly man, a dastardly person, comes up with a plot that is a secret for the entirety of the season. Uh, he recruits an army of villains to help him carry it out. And then he finally reveals his terrible plot. He, being a super advanced gorilla, uh, describes his final master plan, which is to... Turn everyone into gorillas, <laughs> at which point Lex Luthor shoots him because he's an idiot, because the gorilla's an idiot. Um, I'm talking about gorillas, Gorilla Grodd's master plan from, I think, the second season of Justice League Unlimited. Unlimited, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where, yes, after all of that, after everything that goes on, after every villain kind of, and there's a huge power play between yes, uh, Luthor and Grodd, and Luthor finally comes around, he's like, all right, let's do it your way. Um, Grodd <laughs> reveals his master plan is to turn everyone into apes. That it, that ranks up there as one of those spit take moments, just like when uh, Lex Luthor inhabits Flash's body and goes, and now to find out who the Flash really is. I have no idea yeah, who this is. Like, I have no idea who this is. And simultaneously, they're both in a bathroom. Um, uh, Flash and Lex Luthor's body is about to walk out of the bathroom and, like, Magnet Master or whatever walks in. He's like, aren't you going to wash your hands? And he goes, no, because I'm evil. I'm evil. That, that, that is a well-written well episode. Oh, the Great and, Brain Robbery yes. is up, is one of the greatest animated TV episodes ever. Mm-hmm. Not just of the Justice League. It is one of, like, the greatest shows ever put on TV. Yeah, that's funny. Good times. All right. so great the plot to turn everyone into monkeys. Yes. Which I think Grodd does for a while. Um, in that maybe one, that was another actually, episode. Well, in that I was that in, in the JLA crossover in the summer of '97. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. In um, 
in Brave and the Bold, it happens too. Yeah, so yeah. you might be thinking of that, but I think they stop him. He might be, he might actually zap a couple people, but in that one, before it even gets off the ground, he gets shot. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was good. That was good times. Oh man, I missed the. Uh, no, just Justice League Unlimited. God, that was a good series. Oh, it was a, a really solid uh, show. Thank goodness you can buy that on a DVD. You can pl- buy the complete seasons. Mm-hmm. I think it's in Blu-ray even. Yeah, I think so. And you can get that through this uh, Amazon link over at MajorSpoilers.com. Click on that, buy it, and then a little bit comes our way and keeps us uh, doing fine shows like this as we build up to Matthew's big number one. My number it better one. be worth it, Matthew, because I had this whole build up. My number one. Yeah, your build up totally, totally helped me, man. I appreciate that. No, I, I hope. Because my number one. Because if it's disappointing, man, so when many you people say, are going to be going, oh, doomsday. Yes. Steven, when you say doomsday, sometimes people think the end of the world. Yes, they the do. The world. As we know it. Well, what about the end of 30 separate worlds, Stephen? 30 worlds. Can you do it 52 worlds? What about that? 52 worlds? I can't do 52 worlds. Why That's not? stupid. No. Because there were only 30. See, what had happened was... But one of them's not even got a number. Long, long ago, on a planet, Scarrow, these alien mutants decided, we're going to be alien mutants and we're going to build ourselves into these salt and pepper shakers with a plunger on the front. And they did this with the help of an evil guy named Davros. And Davros kept coming back like a bad smell and destroying universes and trying to destroy the worlds. And finally, at the end of what some people refer to as season four of the new Doctor Who, but I, being a jackass, insist on referring to as season 30 (laughs) of the Doctor Who... (laughs) It all comes together, and Davros has created basically a planet-destroying device using 30 different worlds to power his doomsday device, forcing the Doctor to come back and gather up all of his former companions from the series, and a couple from the old show as well, including Sarah Jane, and bring them all together and hook up with Torchwood, the spinoff, and do this massive intercompany crossover where they all have to come together and they have to destroy Davros's plan. But at the end, he ends up having to sacrifice not the life, but the awesomeness of uh, his latest uh, uh, companion, Donna. Mm. And it's a moment that really weighs on the 10th doctor for the rest of his tenure, honestly, but it's just this massive story that wraps up the first four seasons of Doctor Who. And while it does have the moment that I kind of dislike, Russell T. Davis as a writer has a tendency to write himself into a corner and then kind of entice the audience to clap for Tinkerbell to save the day. Mm-hmm. This is one time where I feel like it kind of works. It really kind of it, it fits what's going on for my my intents and purposes, I guess I should say. And I don't hate it because it's the last time that he gets to do it. And so it's a moment that it puts everything in place. It it builds all of these things that they've built for four years in the new show and all of the things in play and finally gives the doctor a big win, but then yanks the rug out of him at the last moment and really ticks me off and makes me very sad 
which then, of course, leads into the next series of the show, which is very cool. But, you know, when you talk about the end of the world, how about the end of the universe or, or a galaxy or the end of, you know, Donna Noble's awesome life where her mind is rewound to the point where she's nothing but a poor temp in, in London and she'll never remember the awesome thing that she did to save yeah. the universe. Yeah, I, I always thought it makes me sad. I always thought the the ending of the Do- Donna Noble tenure is one of the most resonant. It's one of the better ones, I thought. Because um, yeah. it is tragic. Yeah, I I like it. It's like you're like, oh, so sad. Him and Rose can never be together. Fine, but that idea that like he still remembers all the good times they had, but she doesn't. Yeah. And if she does, it'll like hurt her. It'll kill her. Mm-hmm. It'll you kill know? her. It it's literally it's, destroy her. Yeah, it's one of like it's he one of the cannot go back in yes in a show where the main character is a time traveling super wizard. It's one of the few moments when I was actually like, oh, I actually feel for this weird alien. Yeah, yeah, and so, it's it's another one of those moments where someone gets hurt just by standing too close to him, hmm? which reminds you that you're not just dealing with some you know clever english guy this is an incredibly powerful ancient alien who will accidentally destroy your life just by being there i mean that's that's kind of horrifying but it's also a really great doomsday plot that comes to a really great ending for me i think i can i think i can top top that instead of just universe ending how about multiverse (gasps) ending like the crisis on if you say 52 no the crisis uh the crisis on infinite uh Worlds, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, Crisis on Infinite Earths. That, that's Earths. that's a big one. That's a that's one that's not on our list. It is a big. One. People are going to chastise us for not having um, the uh, Death Star. Yeah, on the list. Uh, I don't know if I'd call the Death Star. I mean, that's a doomsday I work plot. With the Grass Valley Switcher. It's going to destroy a doomsday and device. a million voices are going to cry out at once. Yes. Why are Al- there only a million people Alderaan. on our planet? Yes. That's what's called. Alderaan is very idyllic. It's yeah, just they like, keep the population low. Yes, there's just like it's just fields. It's just rolling fields. <laughs> what what else is on your also rants? Um actual doomsday from DC Comics. Yeah. They're just like, oh, here's here's how I will destroy <laughs> things. I will make a guy and then I kill him and I take that genetic material and I make a tougher guy and then I kill that and I take that genetic material until he's all spiky. Yeah. Uh is that good Terminator. Job? Terminator. <laughs> Yes, is a, is another one. Both Terminator in in, 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 in really the the whole concept of it, which is like basically when you were talking about uh, your Cold War movie, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I love the sequel to that, The Terminator. <laughs> yeah, where Skynet goes online, yeah, yeah. and uh, kills everyone. Yeah, definitely. Matthew, do you have some also rants? I liked uh, I liked twenty twelve, but I, that's because I'm a John Cusack fan. Oh, where yeah. the the world is supposed to end, and this guy is going to drive across an exploding landscape and fly off into the sunset. To where? It's a terrible movie with a terrible ending, but it's still kind of fun. In- Independence uh, Day? Ah, Gibraltar. Independence Day? Yeah. Alien Gibraltar. Invasion, Doomsday. Oh, yeah, good. that's a good one. Mars uh, Attacks. Yeah. Yeah. Waterworld. <laughs> yeah. Ack, 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 ack. Trying to think some more from books, uh, like from Mad- literature. Mad Max is more post-apocalyptic. See, we don't read books. It's been a long time since I've really just sat down with a book book, book that's, you know, like a fiction book. Most of the stuff I'm reading is how to do this, yeah. how to do this, how to make this. Oh, why, why does your life suck? One. Do this. It's called, you haven't heard of it. It's called Blood Music. It's written by an author called Greg Bear. And this was 25 years ago that I read this. And it's basically 
um, kind of a, a gray goo storyline with the nanomites mm. that bring around the end of reality. Mm-hmm. Really good story. I highly recommend it. Cool. Um, how about like uh, yeah. a bunch of uh, crazy gods try to crash the moon into the prime material plane? Mm, Ooh, that, that sounds like a pretty good story. Yeah. Seems pretty far fetched. Does, does it have a guy with curly horns? Yeah, I think it does. You need a guy with curly horns. Okay, well then, yeah, you're good. You've got the grounding you need there. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Does it have a Does it have a prissy guy who's too happy about his hair? Yes. Well, then, then it must be an awesome story. Okay, then, if it's got so that guy. Got, in see, it. Yeah, it, it's a, you have sold yeah. me. Yes, that's how you sell. Steve it's the protagonist that that. Yes, it's like think about it as a Draco Malfoy vehicle. Oh man. <laughs> All right, everybody. You, we have given you our top fives. Head over to Majorspoilers.com, the comment section for this episode, and share your list of top five doomsday plots from fiction you have until Tuesday. Because that's when the world went. Draco Malfoy saves the day. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers. 